0: Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately, to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote psychomedy. Welcome to Comedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology. A degree I've almost entirely forgotten, but adds a tiny bit of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the very lovely, the very funny Sarah Barron. Sarah, how are you?
1: Hi, Nathan. How are you?
0: Very good. As usual, on-site comedy, we're not going to be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. Sarah is lying down here on her sofa in her beautiful London home. How do you feel there, Sarah, laying down, not looking me in the eye?
1: Um, very comfortable.
0: Good. That is exactly what we want. Yeah. Well, I last you in comedy in the Camden Comedy Club. Oh, yes. <laughs>
1: Oi, that was a rough one.
0: <laughs> on Friday. Rough one?
1: yeah I had you know you go through those stretches where like you're just you have like a a few great gigs in a row and you think. I don't know about co- Yes, you do, <laughs> and then you think, "What's coming for me?" And then I had, th- I've now had three in a row that came for me. So I think I'm doing another. Good do you one. fear
0: that do- during a good spell? Then do you not enjoy the good spell? You know no, I do. One is but I'll on. think.
1: What I'll think to myself is like, if I'll have a really good gig, and I'll think that they were so generous mm. as to be almost like what they thought is almost irrelevant because they were so generous. But then you have to remind yourself of that the next time you have a really shitty gig, and it's because. When you have a shitty gig, right, you go like, that was the truth. That is Mm. what is real. All that stuff that's been consistently working that just died on its ass. That is the truth. That is what's real. And it's like, nah, it's not. (laughs) Like, the middle shit is real. And when you kill so hard that you can't say a thing without them laughing, that's an irrelevance, as is the audience who, like, has nothing to give you. Mm. And I didn't feel that Friday had nothing to give, but I Mm. felt they had 30% to give.
0: (laughs) You actually went into the percentages on stage, which I quite Did liked. I? Yeah, you were saying. I'm trying to
1: do that a little less with not, not, not much success.
0: No, but it was interesting because it was it was a cold room. You know, they're obviously they were warm cold rooms. Room. Cold rooms. Yeah, sometimes they were cold. you can't quite work out why it's a cold room. There wasn't, sometimes it's obvious that it's a bad MC, but uh, the MC here was doing a fine job. It was just immediately cold from the start. Mm. So you were brought on to, to a rather cold atmosphere. Does that make you think any differently before you come on? Are you more worried Or less worried? I wasn't, so like,
1: you and I have gigged together a lot. Hmm. I know that room pretty well. So I'm not, it wasn't a situation where I was going, holy shit, these are high stakes and I'm about to have a tough gig. It was Hmm. more me going, oh, I'm with friends. Mm. in a comfortable atmosphere and I'm about to have a hard gig. Mm. So right now at this stage, when something like that happens, what I really am trying to work on is not attacking the audience for it. Mm. And it's such a hard thing because as a stand-up, you need to, to maintain a sense of authority and sort of alpha status. Mm. You have to be present in the room. There has to be some acknowledgement of what's going on so you look aware and in command. Mm. But then you can tip over into that thing of just sort of going at them for being a shitty crowd. And I'm I'm trying to learn to walk the line between those things. Like, be like, oh. listen, you're a cold crowd. No big deal. There'll be a little bit of acknowledgement of that, but then we're just going to do the material. And mm. I, I don't feel that I failed at that on Friday, but I don't feel I was as successful as I would have liked to have been either.
0: Oh, no, you didn't fail at all. But, I mean, that's interesting. Do, do you... When you call them a shitty crowd, do, is that what you're thinking when you're getting on stage? You yeah, are a shitty crowd. Yeah, You're crowd, just going. Is...
1: This is a cold. This is a cold room.
0: Okay. So you're blame So you're kind of not blaming, but you're you're defining the crowd, the whole crowd as one element as yeah, shitty. Yeah, yeah. That,
1: that holistically, mm. when I say shitty crowd, that's mm. a more aggressive way of saying cold room. Yeah. They're just there's a sense of they're sat back, not literally, but figuratively. They're sat back, arms crossed, going, yeah. make me laugh.
0: In your head, is that something you think, I can immediately turn this around? Or do you think, this is a shitty crowd, so I'm just going to ride this shitty crowd for the whole of my set?
1: Um, No, what'll I, what'll, what'll, what will I think? I think I'll go, I think I'll think to myself, work to not attack them. Oh. And in any given gig, I sort of go into it trying to think about what I'm there to get out of it. Oh. So it'll either be like, listen, there's someone here I need to really impress, I need to really show what I can do. So that's all you're trying to do is look like the best comic you can be. Or I'll say, I really have this new bit that I need to work out. I need to see oh. how this is what you know. So I think there was like this this new little one minute thing I was working out. Oh. So I was sort of trying to think about not attacking them,
0: Mm. acknowledging
1: their coldness, but not in a hostile way Mm. and commit to saying some new stuff, even though they seem cold.
0: Mm.
1: Because there have been a couple of gigs that I've not done well at, I think, because I thought I was going to do well. Like I've thought, like I've gotten a little bit big for my britches and been like, all right, this seems like a tough crowd, but that's because these other people did this. Mm. I'll get up there. I'll fucking turn on the Sarah Baron charm. I'll show them how it's done. And then I just can't get the audience. Mm. So it's like, it's again, it's that line between you need to have your confidence up and feeling powerful and feeling like you're kind of this king so that you don't seem in any way needy. But when, then when you tip over to thinking, it's just guaranteed you'll have a good set. Mm. You can really eat shit. So Mm. it's like a little, you need a little like dose from both medicines, I think.
0: Mm. And do you find that more this year in terms of your confidence? I mean, last Edinburgh, you had an amazing Edinburgh. You got nominated for, for the Edinburgh Comedy Award. Do you find your confidence has grown this year, and particularly when people are coming to see you? So before the gig on Friday, there was people coming to see you for your preview, uh, for your new show. Is that something you've gained a lot of confidence from, the nomination last year?
1: I think I, you know, I, I, think I definitely gained confidence from it. I don't know if I gained... A lot of confidence, I think, like, because I I just think about all those things, like nominations and reviews and all that stuff. Like, there is something that they mean, and then there is something that they signify. And then there's just so much stuff that they don't mean or don't sign. You know, I got got a couple of very middling reviews Mm. at that same Edinburgh from... Um, publications that I respect, you Mm. know? So it's like, what's, what's real, this, this nomination saying this really good thing about me or the reviewer who basically went, eh, this is kind of medium. So if you just kind of go, so so the way that I think about confidence is I think like there's, there's this big breath of gigs, right? And the, the smallest ones are these open mics that you start off doing. And then the biggest ones are what? Like, if you're Catherine Ryan and you get to tour and your tour takes you to like Hammersmith Apollo, right? Like mm. that's to some extent, that's the gamut. Mm. And what you're always trying to do is have more and more gigs that don't scare you. So like when I started out, like we have a mutual friend and you run this gig on a Friday. And I really wanted to do your gig on a Friday because it, it was like a much better gig mm. than the open mic night that I was sometimes would see you at on a Monday. Yep. And so it was like, oh, I really want to do his Friday gig. And then finally I got to do your Friday gig and I was really, really scared. And I just wanted to show up and be good at your Friday gig. And yes. then over the course of a few years, that gig has become like a place where I go and I see my friends and I feel like I see my equals, you know? Yep. And so it's sort of, it's about taking all those gigs that scare you and making them stuff that doesn't.
0: And how about TV now? Are you you're getting TV opportunities? Uh, are you considering those? Um terrifying again in terms of stepping up and doing yeah a three on the i got of one of those and that show. was the last
1: thing where i was like i feel so like i'm not shaking mm. but i'm my heart is racing mm. do the breath you know
0: and when does that go does that go during the gig if first big laugh is that then completely gone or does no that stay i for think the whole then gig?
1: you settle but like i didn't you know i just felt really scared through the whole record. You know, I think I performed like I wasn't scared. Yeah. But I was. And then you think, okay, so hopefully that went, like hopefully being really scared and performing like I wasn't scared means I performed okay. I didn't embarrass myself. I wasn't the obviously weak link. Mm. And then you kind of go, okay, then if I can do a few more of these and then I can get to a point where I I can just sort of sit and chat, then...
0: Yeah. I'll be even better, you know? And you get less terrified. I see you might time. Here's hoping, man. So, um, this, is the, uh, this is the hard hitting, <gasps> hard of the, hitting. Uh, part of the chat. Yes. I think you are a nice, lovely person.
1: I am a nice person, Nathan, but <laughs> I think you're nice as well. So maybe that's why we, maybe neither one of us are objective
0: <laughs> about the <laughs> so other person. In comedy, possibly this is not the most common thing to be very nice, very lovely, very charming. Uh, but are you charming? Do you, uh, in real life, do you, uh, is this something you can turn on and off?
1: Or? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that I, and I'll, I'm, em- I'm going to embarrass myself now if mm. either a, you're saying that because you're being charming, but actually you find me quite draining as a person <laughs> and, or if someone heard point. this, who thinks that I'm bitchy, but, um, no, I think it is, um, I think I, I'm i a very, very nice person. <laughs> so I did one of these previews recently with a, a mutual friend of ours. Mm. And it was, there was such a small audience that it basically turned into a workshop. And afterwards, I really respect him. And so I want, you know, I've got these pieces in this show that I'm really struggling with. So I wanted his opinion on them because he's got a good mind for that stuff. And his The two- promoter or- uh, no, a fellow. Um,
0: oh, a comic. A
1: comic, yeah. yeah. And he, a couple, like the only audience basically was his two friends. Okay. So it was, you know, so it was very workshoppy. Oh. And um, afterwards, his friends were like, "Oh, would you like our feedback as well?" And I was like, "Oh no, but thank you so much for offering. <laughs> I didn't give a shit with like it, it's. I don't know them. I don't care." If I care what an audience thinks. so Like if an audience overall, 60 people, is telling you some stuff, I'm really interested. So I just said that's so sweet of you to ask and I'm so grateful that you came, but no thank you. So I will be aggressive sometimes. <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite... Um,
0: I'm going to keep giving you feedback. I think I deploy.
1: Get... I think I deploy when needed.
0: <laughs> How about individual audience members then when it's a big crowd coming up to you at the end of a gig and maybe giving you some feedback? Do you get that a lot? And then are you... <gasps> You have to switch on the charm constantly or?
1: <laughs> what is it? Do you know what? I think if it's women, I feel I'm mostly polite. I think sometimes, but I, you know what? I haven't, I, the, the truth is I haven't had much experience with, mm. with people doing that to me. Like last, um, last preview season. So last summer I had a gig um, and it was me with um, Robin Ince and it was a really hard gig because it was, an odd, it was like a Sunday night. There were 20 people in. They were all there to see Robin Ince. I worship Robin Ince, but I couldn't be a more different act from him. So basically at like 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, I had 15 people who had come to hear like brilliant science-y stuff, and I started doing all my like filthy material. But I, I felt that in light of all those circumstances, I sort of did the stuff. I was sort of proud of how it went, even though it had been a rough gig. And the booker came up after me, uh, to me afterwards and I just sort of was like, thank you so much. And he was like, yeah, so my thoughts are, and <laughs> basically sat there and explained to me all the reasons why I didn't have a show. Wow. And he was wrong, like for him to not like it is absolutely fine, but he kept talking to me about how I didn't have punchlines when I did. <laughs> and I was like, dude, just because what you think comedy is, is very rooted in what comedy was in 1979. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't have pun- – like, people who give unsolicited advice are just insane. So you just have – so anyway, that was my – but I sat there and I took it because, and I, because I, he was a booker and I felt so afraid of being like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I actually don't care what you think. Yeah. And it really did feel like he was sat- – and I don't mean to make light of any sort of harassment stuff, but what it felt like being told how shitty I was when I hadn't asked – was like he was just masturbating like he had shit he had opinions he needed to say them and he was just gonna sit there and he was gonna jerk off and i had to wait for him to come and then i was allowed to leave and it was disgusting and i won't gig there anymore you know wow i know i want to gig there well you probably have we'll talk about
0: it when we're not recording okay um okay so yeah in terms of just one more point on this charm thing whenever i think about you and maybe whenever i think about people like you who have a family children a husband I think that possibly they're nicer people they're more charming because in the comedy industry because they have perspective they have something else going on in their lives apart from comedy is that something you think about in terms of other comics or yeah really? totally yeah. I okay. think like
1: I don't even think about it like this uh, friend of mine is a comedian like this sh- thing that she and I talk about is how incapable so many comedians are of talking to people who aren't comedians mm. that like, if you have, she was like, she told this story about a birthday party and based like that any situation she's had over the course of like a decade of doing comedy, whenever she brings people together, like birthday stuff like that, comedians just sequester themselves. Mm. And um, I don't think it reflects well on, on people who do it. And I, it's really, important to me to um engage with people who don't just think about stand-up all the time
0: you joke about your husband and your kids in your in your show and uh, i think it is a joke in terms of in terms of possibly weighing you down and maybe fantasizing about a, a different life is there any element of you that looks upon these comics without a family or anything else going on with any sense of Um, jealousy at all or is that um, in terms of your Um. responsibilities that you have now as well as being a comedian which does make it more difficult
1: yeah I just think I don't know like I think so I started stand up really late like I was 35 when I started and I think I tried it for 6 months when I was 22 and I couldn't do it and I just think like for whatever reason I needed to be 35 and I needed to have that like more stuff to say and Mm. and a clearer sense of how to talk about it and all that um
0: what did you do between 22 and 35 um i waited everything everything. what
1: didn't i do i um
0: were you in the states yeah i was in the
1: states and i was sort of ultimately a writer like i i made a living at it but it was a horrifically pathetic living Mm. um and you know what I had always wanted to do was stand up. Like I tried it, and I hadn't cracked it, and I just thought it was the coolest, best thing. But I, I couldn't do it. And when I met my husband, he was like, "You're a stand up," and I was like, "Oh, don't even say that to me. That's like all I've ever wanted to be, but I can't do it."
0: So there was like a thirteen year gap between you start. You, yeah, you trying so I did it at it twenty two. Yeah, yeah. And was it always on your mind? Always on my mind. You thought you could do.
1: That like so that so when i I was 31 when I met my husband and I was gonna come to visit him in London in August I was still living in New York and he's like oh if you're here in August do you want to go up to Edinburgh to the festival and I was like no nah, I can't do that <laughs> like it's too depressing it's like a bunch of people wandering around doing this thing that I've wanted to do my whole life and like can't quite right get myself to it was it was like my little what stopped
0: stopped you from doing it so
1: basically like I turned myself into a writer so then the sort of story I told myself was like but I have a thing it's not like I was an account I wanted to be a stand-up but I was an accountant like I did this thing that involved comedy and was creative it's like someone who you know like some you're married and it's fine and part of you's going it's fine this relationship is fine does it have to be great Uh. And it was like there but there was just this other thing, and so the fact that I was like working on books and writing all the time like that was that was what I did
0: interesting that your husband said you are a stand up, and he identified that in you. What do you think he saw in you, and <gasps> do you think that do you think you are a stand up in terms of people can be they're stand ups they're they're not writers, they're not actors, they're stand ups, and they're a different breed to other art forms
1: yeah, I think that is so so heed I used to like um The Moth is this storytelling thing that's in London and it's like big in the States. And so when I was writing, that would just be a thing that I hosted for them once a month. So I did this performance thing once a month. The Moth Club. Yeah. Yeah. And so my husband was in New York for work and he one of his coworkers was like a Moth fan. And so they were like, what should we do when we're in New York? Oh, I, there's this podcast. There's a live show. Let's go see it. And I was hosting. And that was how he and I met. So he saw me on stage. And he was like, well, that's what, I mean, that's your thing. Yep. And I was like, oh, no, it's just like I do it once a month, but actually. And he was like, no, but that's, that's what. So then there was like a couple of years where I was still, I had this book I had to finish. And he was like, you should just do stand-up. And so finally... 35th birthday, mm. I went and did it. Do you know what? Our backgrounds are very similar. Interesting. Um, yeah. But you weren't, right? You were working in banks, right?
0: Well, no, in terms of stand up, I mean, yeah, I did work in, in banks, but uh, I did stand up at about 22, 23, just for a year. I thought I was okay. I was getting to a decent level, but I had nothing to say, so I did drop out just like you for about 10 years, but it was always in the back of my mind that this oh, is who I, I am, this is what that. I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So oh. I was just writing like you and thinking, oh, maybe I'm a writer. So pretty much exactly the same. Oh, how funny. And like you, Jeff came up to me and we... <laughs> we uh, <laughs> Listen, Nick. <Nate. laughs> he does it to everyone.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, it's his move. It's his big move. <laughs>
0: it is, yeah. Your new show is called Enemies Closer. The blurb is uh, refers to kindness and mean, meanness and keeping your yeah, enemies, obviously... Um, close to you and um, we've talked about your charm and maybe turning it on and off. Comedy is pretty ruthless. Is this something you find that it's ruthless and do you find yourself, um, you're talking about turning on and off the charm, that's one thing, but in terms of being ruthless yourself, I can't imagine it, but I'm sure you have to be. Do you ever lie to get things? Are you ever ruthless?
1: No, I think sort of I can be a real shark about... um, previews right I mean I think that's how I'm
0: what to get previews
1: yeah like so if there's anything like I know that I've exhausted certain bookers by being like me again me again me again me again Mm. so that's not quite ruthless is it but it's like it's certainly uncharming but it's a way in which I'm like willing to be annoying for the greater good of having an hour that's ready in August
0: Mm. just persuasive
1: yeah and then I, like, I say mean shit about people in my life on stage. There's a ruthlessness <laughs> to that, I guess. Yeah. Like, there's some quote that's, like, you know, every, like, to be a good artist, you have to be a monster. Like, if you want to, to be a good artist, you have to say a real thing. And real things that are interesting just aren't nice. That's just life.
0: Mm. And do you think there's a little bit of a monster about you in other stand-ups? Yes. Talk? One hundred percent. In what way?
1: Because I think, like, like the, oh, f- the the what I've spent my after my morning before you got here, and what I've spent my afternoon doing, and it's making me insane. is like you know, trying to weave together different parts of this show. And one of the stories I want to tell is that Jeff was Jeff was basically with a common law wife when I met him. So when he and I got together, it was like this heartbreaking event for ostensibly his first wife they weren't married but they'd been together a decade they were as married right and so there is something and he left her and then was with me immediately right so that was this really painful chapter in her life and it's a good story and I want to tell it (laughs) in my Edinburgh show
0: does she want you to tell it?
1: probably not but guess what? I think it'll make for a good show. So I'm probably going to do it anyway. So that's really ruthless, isn't it? Now, yeah. I plan to do it in a way that's as fair and kind as possible. But the bottom line is, is it's like the, the, the kindest thing to do would mm. be to like come up with a new 15 minutes. Mm. But I, I like the story. I think it's interesting. I think it's relatable.
0: Yeah. Is she in the States? She's no, no, to... no. She lives in London. Okay. So there's a chance she might hear about this show? Or... Oh,
1: basically. So basically I did it as a moth story. So she knew about it like a few years ago. And I sort of always thought oh, I, I could try and put, I think that could maybe work thematically in like an Edinburgh hour at some point. Mm. So I've planted the seed with her that I might use it again. Um,
0: okay. So you're in touch with her?
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of the idea of it is it's like this person who, you know, I'm doing the stand up bit about like how I it's like I'm 40 years old and I hate all my friends. Oh. And then, you know, the sort of ideas that this story about she and I would be like, you have this somewhat unique situation in adult life, which is like a proper enemy, right? Like someone who actively hates you and you have some awareness of that and then you kind of can't help but hate them back and that as she and i actually get to know each other there's a fondness there and then of course okay. the work from a stand-up perspective becomes that's essentially a somewhat saccharine story how do you tell a story with a nice happy ending in a funny way mm. and that's what's difficult but because to be her. funny i'd kind of have to be mean to her okay right and that's
0: the but you hated her for some time
1: Um, the word hate is a little strong. Mm. You know, I would say that it was very important to her to have a friendship with my husband. So if your husband's ex-girlfriend is very involved in his life, probably you will find that annoying Mm. if you're being honest with yourself.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned friends there and I... Uh, you talked about this in your stand-up on Friday in terms of maybe hating your friends do you find your friends diminishing as you carry on in your stand-up career do friends turn into colleagues that's what I've kind of found over the years because you're you're constantly surrounded by people that maybe aren't your friends and are just your colleagues and
1: oh well see that's what's sort of funny is that like so in I sort of didn't have colleagues for a long time because I was a writer so like I would write in the day and then teach at night so like there are no friends from writing and that, you know what I mean? Cause you're by yourself. And then like I had students and they were my age, but they're not really properly friends. I mean, a few, you know, I made a few friends out of them, but having like stand-up colleagues for me is, is actually just kind of quite fun and sort of a new thing. Mm. It's more like looking at all the people like who I met at university and in my early twenties and stuff, like when you're still actively making friends in a different way. Mm. And now we're all like 40. And I think the midlife crisis is very, Very real. And so mostly I'm looking at, you know, all these different people who I've known either from the time I was eight years old or 18 or 23 and they're all 40 and what their jobs are and what their relationships are, are sort of, you know, the answers to those questions are hardening into facts and possibilities for what your life will be are sort of narrowing down. Mm. In terms of again everything careers relationships children and it's making people insane
0: do you see these friends as as much now I mean, well no because my things
1: up. I have like a weird story because I moved to a different country when I was 32 no I, yeah. how old was I moved here 34 so so like my really close friends are all back in the states so I see them a couple times a year and talk to them when I can and you know, and then comedy friends, like, you know, it's like such a brutal game that yeah. how brutal it is makes people a little cuckoo pants.
0: Do you think you can forge real friendships in comedy, like genuine friendships? Yes. Yeah.
1: I think it's difficult, but I definitely have one. You know, I can think of one person who, like, I would call her in a real life crisis who I, you know, is a comedian who I met through stand-up.
0: Yeah. But then we have hundreds of people we Yeah, a class and then you friends. like have
1: another three, you know, like another five who you really really like and then another 15 who like Yeah. seem great. Yeah. But who knows if you can trust
0: them? What about that? Do you think do you think you can trust people in comedy? Do you think do you think you can trust this best friend in comedy? Yes, I think I can trust.
1: Like that doesn't mean that 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 jealousy 100%, 100% sure.
0: Say again? 100% sure you can trust her?
1: Yes, I'm 100% sure I can trust her. That doesn't mean that, like, jealousies can't emerge. But, like, mm. if I said something to her that was confidential, yeah. I feel 100% sure she'd keep it to herself.
0: How about if there was an opportunity? And would she step over you to get it, do you think? Or would you step over her?
1: I need, See, I need clarification on what step over means. Like, well, I don't think one... she would ever badmouth me. Right. But I think, like, if if you wind up in one of these situations where it's like every man for herself, mm. then we're all. But but I don't think of that as like being untrustworthy.
0: Yeah. How about the five? other you said, you said, "Oh, there's five lesser kind of friends." How about those people? I'm just kind of thinking, can we trust anyone in comedy? Really? When it comes to I
1: point? think so. I think yeah. I have a. I think I have a group of people that I could trust to not talk shit about me but i'm also like i'm super gossipy so like i try and not like like if i'm dishing it out all the time i feel like i owe it to everyone to be able to take it too you know i'm not right. spreading like i don't like spread falsehoods but like i like a gossip
0: in terms of how comedy has affected you since you started it up again in uh at 35 do you think it's affected you in terms of uh, your outside life do you think it's affected how you are inside are you do you feel more nerveless do you feel more on edge do you, um, how do you think it's affected you?
1: I, I mean, i it's a very um, upbeat answer, Nathan, but I just mm. think it's made me a much happier person. Oh, great. Like, it was just this thing that I wanted and I felt like I could do. Yeah. And I finally did it. Yeah. And that, you know, big picture that has just brought me a lot of joy.
0: Yeah. And, and again, me. Jeff was right, I think. It's you. I like to think think so. it's me. And what do you think, it's maybe a difficult question, but what is it that makes a true great stand-up, someone that's not just a journeyman or just giving it a go, someone that it's inside them and what's what's your makeup, do you think, that makes you a stand-up? Very difficult question. Well,
1: see, I, I just think, so I don't know what makes me one. I think that when I see someone and I go, yeah, you're, Yeah, I mean, there it is. There's the thing. Mm. It's this, you know, it's just this intersection of great shit to say Mm. said in a brilliant way.
0: Yeah, but how about their psyche in terms of it's an incredibly difficult job in terms of traveling around the country? Oh, yeah, to I don't know. I mean,
1: I think it can... I That, I think, is a... I think. I mean, I think the answer to that is, like, anything. Like, I think people who do it... There are people who do it who are really tortured, and their torturedness is brought to it. And then I think there are people who are just, you know... They could be... Like, I, I would be genuinely happier at a nine-to-five job. I love a schedule. I love a routine. I have nothing addictive or particularly self-destructive. Like, I'm just... You know, a pretty even keeled person. Mm. You are. You are I, I think
0: like to. And I think that do this thing. I think that comes from the gap. Do you think, in terms of twenty two, thirty five? If you'd maybe started at twenty two, do you think you'd have been on that kind of even keel?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Ba- you know. Basically. Like. I. I basically think my both my parents were around all the time. Um. I'm less of a depressive, and um, I have like, like I never do drugs. I never get drunk. Right. Okay. Never smoke anything.
0: This makes you very rare as a comedian. Yeah. yeah. You
1: know, up until very recently always at the you know, and all of those things are your way of, that's like another way of handling anxiety, but my way of handling stuff mm. is to like make sure that my house is tidy and never have more than two glasses of wine in a night.
0: As we maybe come to the end of this, there's a uh, there have been studies suggesting, as I'm sure you've seen, that comedians have personality traits that are more prevalent in people with psychosis as you say depression that kind of thing we see that all the time in our in our jobs um so i've uh, i'm trying to remember my degree here it's about 50 years ago that i did this <laughs> at, uh, but i got a first i want to keep putting Yay. that in it makes this credible A lot of the questions I've been asking you today, a lot of them come off the um, questionnaires that you get online in terms of identifying psychopathy. Now, this isn't a big trick in terms of out of this, I'm going to identify you as a psychopath. Okay. um, It's interesting when you look at the definitions of psychopathy that eminent psychologists have come up with. So we've got one here from Harvey Cleckley, who's identified he was uh, one of the forerunners in terms of the initial diagnostic criteria for uh, psychopathy. He identified 16 factors that he believe makeup. And we understand what we mean by psychopathy. Psychopathy is a scale. It's not saying you're a serial killer. There's a scale. Uh, Eminent heart surgeons will probably be high up on that scale in terms of these features. So the features of psychopathy that he came up with would be superficial charm and intelligence, um, unreliability, untruthfulness, insincerity, lack of remorse, shame, inadequate uh, antisocial behaviour, poor judgement, failure to learn from experience, these kind of things, egocentricity, incapacity for love, general poverty in major affective reactions, uninviting behaviour with alcohol and uh, drugs um, and failure to follow any life plan. So as I go through that, I think I'm talking about other stand-up comedians and not about you in most of those things. I mm. mean, we talked about... Uh, the charm thing on and off. But uh, do you think you're a different, slightly different animal in terms of your psyche, in terms of your level-headedness, in terms of the way you are, in terms of that depression than other comedians? Or have I met other comedians than you? I, I mean, because
1: right, it's like an uncomfortable position to then have to go like, yeah, that's no, no, why no, I'm really special to, and you different. You have to agree No, I all. just think I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I just, you know, I think I was like in psychotherapy for 15 years Maybe all
0: stand-up comedians have to be in psychotherapy for fifteen years. I think that will be improve the situation. I think
1: it could. So I I just think I'm pretty good at identifying a problem. I think I, you know, I can feel like I can feel really sad and really anxious and all those things. But I think the people who are my Mm. peers are like twenty five years old. Yeah. Or twenty, you know, or maybe the oldest ones are thirty. I have ten more years on them. Like I just. Uh, you know, so I think someone who's 50 knows a little bit more about navigating the world than I do. And I think mm. I know a little bit more about navigating the world than someone who's 27.
0: But I think it's that gap, don't don't you, in terms of that gap from stand-up? Someone that's been doing it 30 years, and we know lots of people that have been doing it 30 years, I think they're less well-adjusted than you. I think that gap is important or other things going yeah. on in their lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about a, a comic, can we? they're sometimes celebrated because all they do is – it's comedy. For me I get upset by these kind of things. Sometimes in terms of really comedy are we celebrating that that's all you've got? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy's great, but there's other great things as well.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: So yes, if I was to score you and not that I would ever do that, but I have been doing it. Oh, in cool. terms of uh, a psychopathy scale, you are you are very low down and I think you're going to be one of the lowest one of the lowest. Psychopaths? One of the lowest comedians um, on the, on the psychopathic scale. You say that what... to all the girls. <laughs> this is exactly what Jeff said yes. when he came to see yes. me that time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know what that says about um, about your 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 futuring. <laughs> comedy. In comedy, I think um, I think you're, you you followed a different path, and you're it's great that it shows you can follow a slightly different path, and you can have other things going on in your life and. Um, it's clearly working
1: well yeah i need a few more years to you know make it a more viable career and to really show that an alternate path is viable but
0: and you've also got that option of becoming a complete psychopath down the line particularly yeah. when your kids um, maybe i will grow up and maybe when you hook up with that uh ex-common-law wife of uh, jeff's yes i should after she sees your show yes enemies closer yes this year well thank you sarah thanks nathan That is our show for today, but join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pop People Productions theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate and listen back on all the great episodes so far. A list of those is at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at podpeopleuk, at psychomedypod, at Nathan Cassidy and at Sarah Barron. Sarah, thanks so much again. Lots of love and see you again next week.